Welcome to Said Contra, a podcast of the Sacra Doctrina Project. You can find us online at sacradoctrinaproject.org. I am Father Dylan Schrader. And I am Dr. Kevin Clark. Today we're speaking about the mystery of Christ's ascension. In the Creed, we say that Christ ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. This basic dogma of our faith is attested to multiple places in sacred scripture, in the earliest baptismal creeds, and in the sacred liturgy. So today, Dr. Kevin Clark and I will be discussing the significance of the mystery of the ascension and dive into some of the speculative questions related to it. So to get us started, we were talking a moment ago about the Byzantine liturgy and about some of the reflections on the ascension that are found there. Yeah, thank you, Father Schrader. Um, it's always great to be here, and uh, you're such a uh, gracious host, so uh, I'm happy to be discussing this topic with you. Uh, to be honest, it's one of my my favorite movements in the whole economy of salvation. I think it's uh, vastly underappreciated, and it kind of comes along and uh, interrupts our our Easter celebrations and reminds us to uh, turn aside and and pray, get ready for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But, um, you know, you mentioned the uh, the Byzantine liturgy. I, I'd like to look at the um, the Kentakion for the Feast of the Ascension, uh, because I think it, it really uh, very well captures uh, the significance of the feast. So uh, we read here, after fulfilling for us your plan of, uh, of redemption, and joining the things of earth with those of heaven, you gloriously ascended, O Christ our God, without abandoning us, but remained with us forever, and proclaimed to those who love you, Behold, I am with you, no one has power over no one has power against you. So I notice three things when when um I look at this contachion. Um, the first is that there's the mention there of the joining of earthly things to heavenly ones, mm. right? Which is crucial uh, for understanding what the Feast of the Ascension does. Uh, there's something new that happens here. Christ isn't simply returning to the Father's right hand. He's returning in a new mode that is with glorified flesh, Um for this great enthronement. I mean, we, we just um, uh, saw the enthronement of the uh, King of England and all its uh, pomp and earthly glory. Well, this is the, the, the Lord's glorious enthronement at the Father's right hand. Well, then secondly, his departure, and, and this is clear enough from Scripture uh, when he tells Mary Magdalene not to hold on to him, but uh, explains that he's about to ascend. Hmm. The, the, the second thing is that this departure inaugurates a different manner of presence with us. So he goes away, but yet he's with us, right? But then there's a, a really interesting add-on in the Kentachion that you don't really find in, in um, the Ascension scriptures, but... Um, the, the hymnography interprets right the significance for us. It says, "No one has." He says, "Behold, I am with you. No one has power against you." 
So he, he in um, ascending this this um, new mode of presence with us, uh, despite this shameful and humiliating death that he that he experienced on Good Friday, um, he now is strengthening them, taking away their doubts, which they had even on the mountain before he ascended. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, Thomas gets kind of a bad rap as doubting Thomas, but in Matthew twenty-eight we see that some of them doubted. It's plural. So anyway, Christ's ascension and enthronement uh, is this this great moment where uh, now we know that we can have confidence that in all of our trials and all of our struggles in bearing witness that he goes so that he can send the Holy Spirit upon us and strengthen us to bear that witness. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Uh, as I think about that, I think about movement, and I think about the several significant movements in the Paschal mystery, but really in the life of Jesus altogether. And I think one of the difficulties that I find is in our creed, we refer to these different movements, but they're not all of the same quality. Uh, so, for example, we say he came down from heaven. Well, he came down from heaven is referring to the incarnation. It's referring to his conception. So he came down from heaven in the sense of taking to himself the form of a servant. That is our, our human nature. But it's not a local movement. You know, we talk about his descent to the realm of the dead, which is a movement in his soul that after his death, his human soul descended to the realm of the dead or descended into hell. His resurrection, his rising again or coming back up refers to the glorified reunification of body and soul in a new kind of life. And then his ascension is something that clearly involves some kind of local movement. There's a place of departure, a place of destination. But then in the very same breath, we say he sits at the right hand of the Father, uh, which is a metaphor. You know, referring to the divine realm or the Father's authority and majesty, which Christ is now located in his humanity. And then we talk about the sending of the Holy Spirit. So it just as someone interested in getting into the nitty gritty of what exactly is going on here, you know, one of the challenges I find is that these different movements are of different qualities. And I think something you highlighted really is uh, is valuable in that. So he came down from heaven in the sense of becoming human, but now that he is human, his ascending into heaven is a human ascending. And so therefore, it's something he does as man. It in involves the glorification and the enthronement of Christ's humanity. So our, our creed puts it very beautifully, just kind of summarizing succinctly sacred scripture but there certainly are, are a lot of speculative questions that we could ask there. Certainly. And it, it's one of those those questions where, especially with uh, modern science, it becomes extra challenging. You know, how do we um, account for uh, where Christ is? Because if he is human, um, he is somewhere, right? And there, there's a really fascinating essay in uh, in uh, Nova et Vetera 21 volume one 
by uh, Father Thomas Davenport called Locating Heaven, Modern Science in the Place of Christ's Glorified Body. So for those wishing to dive deeper into this question, um, I'd, I'd point them there. But, you know, he says in that essay, um, he, he says, if, if Jesus Christ is not presently alive somewhere in his full humanity and divinity, he cannot be the principle by which his soul and divinity are present in the Eucharist as well. So he connects the ascension with the um, with Christ's Eucharistic presence uh, in this essay, which is an interesting direction to uh, to go in and makes all the sense in the world, especially as uh, Hebrews is um, all about Christ's priesthood and also all about the ascension. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's a. I read I read Father Davenport's essay as well, and uh, I'm grateful to Nova Vetera for making those available online. By the way, so for our listeners, you can find the archives of Nova Vetera uh, for free online at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. And this essay, I agree, highlighting the connection between the Ascension and the Eucharistic presence of Christ is very important, and it's very traditional for a couple of reasons. So one, you know, traditionally, we say that Christ's body is present really and substantially in two places, locally in heaven and sacramentally in the Eucharist. And the church goes out of her way with St. Thomas to say that Christ's body is not present locally in the Eucharist, but is present locally in heaven. But the same substantial presence, it's one and the same. It's the same body. It's the same Christ, right? And... Yeah, the alternative is saying that Jesus is somewhere is to say that he's nowhere, you know, uh, which is not, it's not good um, <laughs> to, to put it, to put it, uh, put it uh, simply, you know, if he's a man and he's alive, he's got to be somewhere. Now, St. Augustine and Father Davenport quotes as a famous pastor of St. Augustine, St. Augustine says, you know, when you see, if don't be so brash as to seek out in detail the place of the ascension simply believe that he ascended into heaven mm. you know that is there's a there's a very strong sense in which we don't know what heaven is like we don't know in one sense where it is you know not that we don't know anything but it's beyond our experience uh scripture says he ascended above all the heavens which to me in a special way, signifies that wherever Christ has gone, it's not somewhere that's immediately within our grasp. We, we could not get there by our own efforts, even with great difficulty. Um, but I think there are some important questions about the actual place of heaven. Uh, the catechism and you know other traditional theological sources are relatively silent about the details of this mystery. I think for that reason, there's a lot we don't know. The Catechism, as I recall, makes makes the point several times that by his resurrection, Jesus has in some sense transcended normal space and time, which I think is also clear from the scriptures. The, the normal limitations of space and time don't apply to him in the same way, which is not to say that his body is not a real body, and not to say that it's not somewhere, but to say that wherever it is, its mode of existence 
is different from what we normally experience. So there's a lot of questions we could ask. Um, I think for me, one of the biggest ones is this question. Is heaven contiguous with space as we know it? So in the so-called Ptolemaic view of the universe, you know, Earth is at the center and you have the nested spheres going outward and upward. Uh, and so for most of church history in which that view of the cosmos was taken to be the way it was, or the, our best guess or best knowledge as to the way it was, you know, for most of our history, Christians have thought of Jesus as being somewhere above us in a space contiguous with ours, although out of our grasp. So a place we can't get to by our own technology or efforts, but a place that is actually physically connected with us. So the ascension is, is a linear movement. It's a movement upwards. Uh, and that's, I think, reflected most beautifully in the Divine Comedy. But that's the view that now, after the Copernican Revolution, what do we do with it? So mm. to me, that's that's one of the biggest questions. Is the place where Jesus is a place contiguous with our space, or is it not? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, certainly not uh, within my area of expertise. <laughs> so, you know, the the idea that, um, um, you know, of where you could actually locate heaven in the universe is a really intriguing one, to be sure. Um, and, you know, he's not in San Diego. I mean, that's the closest place to heaven on earth that, that I've uh, <laughs> that I've seen. But um, but yes, per, perhaps there is a a place in this universe or or perhaps beyond in some uh, some parallel universe. But <clears throat> in thinking about Aristotelian categories, for example, um and the idea of the, uh, the the categories associated with a substance, you know, one of them is place, right? And it seems clear enough that if he is uh, really human, subsisting, you know, in in his divine hypothesis, right? But with a um, but in a human nature, that he has to be somewhere. But you're right that the the rules of space and time don't exactly um, uh, constrain him because none of us can pass through a uh, a locked room into the midst of the disciples. There's like there's a quickness to his movements that one would expect with the divine presence, much like how the the angels have a quickness to their to their movements well now the humanity of christ suffused with the divine power um he's removed those uh fleshly obstacles so to speak with his spiritual body um but yeah he you know he he i think has to be somewhere um but you know, Father Davenport also in the article makes the the um, the case that there's also a a unique somehow to his existence. Uh, so yeah, I 
I I don't really claim to have the the answer to your question, but uh, but uh, and I think there's wisdom in what Augustine said uh, that you you mentioned earlier that um, you know to go back to the Byzantine liturgy, one of the things that um, the, the the priest uh, says is Christ is among us, mm-hmm. and the people respond, He is and always will be. Right, right. So, um, that's that's really what we have to understand as believers that somehow he is both enthroned in glory at the Father's right hand, and yet among us, and yet also present in the Eucharist and feeding us with himself. Right, and I think that's that's the other aspect uh, that I wanted to mention earlier is the connection with the Eucharist. So the first point is the the uh, the substantial presence of Christ locally in heaven and sacramentally in the Eucharist. But then there's the question of why the ascension, uh, so to speak, and in what way does Christ's ascending into heaven actually allow him to remain with us always, but in a different way. And I think the Eucharist is is clearly the answer to that. You know, the other thing I want to talk about in a moment is the connection with the sending of the Holy Spirit. But yeah, um, the point you made about the Eucharist, uh, Shaban is very good on this in his, uh, I believe it's in the Mysteries of Christianity, where he, he says that the ascension is really... Uh, the the final movement of the the paschal mystery that the uh you know christ is the paschal victim who was slain and because he is the sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to god right. he ascends into the divine presence exactly as a whole uh burnt offering so to speak yeah and that's the letter to the hebrews again you know, yeah. so we have to see the ascension as connected or completing, in a certain sense, the sacrificial movement, mm-hmm. uh, which the Eucharist is, is which the Eucharist is the representation of. Uh, Maurice de la Tal makes the same point in his giant book Mysterium Fidei, the, that uh, the ascension, yeah, is the presentation of the victim in the heavenly sanctuary. And that's how that's how Hebrews reflects on it, right? Yeah. So the Eucharist connects us to that. Uh, I think one of the things I recall from Father Davenport's article is he he, he does a good job of of explaining the significance or importance of the resurrection and the mystery of the ascension, and then talking a little bit about some theories in modern cosmology. He talks about brain cosmology. Brain is short for membrane. This idea that there are something like parallel dimensions or parallel universes or different folds within the universe, some of which are visible and and measurable by us and some of which are not, that are outside of our direct experience, but which are really all around us all the time. You know, and he's not suggesting, as I recall, he's not suggesting that that is definitely the answer, but he is pointing out that there's a lot we don't know about space and time. Right. And our understanding of what space is has changed quite a bit and developed. So we should not be surprised if our understanding of that aspect of the ascension, the where of Christ's body, is also going to develop. 
Um, you know, and so perhaps modern physics points us to this idea that there can be places all around us that we can't get to or that we can't see. So if heaven is like that, and it could be a possibility, if heaven is like that, then Christ is really with us uh, and at the same time beyond our grasp. And I think those those two aspects of the mystery to me are significant. I think it's very important that uh, we acknowledge that you know Jesus is not with us locally and visibly in the way that he was when he walked on earth, because that's clearly the, clearly the case. And the ascension is in part that movement, that going upward away from the earthly realm. But at the same time, by ascending, he's also able to be present and present to, present over, and connected with all of humanity simultaneously all the time. So I think one of the things I think about is the perennial relevance of Christ, that Christ is not some figure in the past, but a figure in the present who is actually literally over us, literally watching over us from above. And I go back to the ancient and the medieval cosmology, the Ptolemaic model. I think, what would it be like if you lived your whole life you know, imagining and thinking of Jesus as literally above you in, in some great line through all the heavenly spheres? And how would that change your life? And that's probably a pretty good way to live, mm. you know, to think uh, that the Lord and judge of all is actually up there. And I, I can't get there yet, but he's, he's up there. Uh, whereas I think since the Copernican revolution, we've really lost something there. And maybe some insights from modern physics could help us to regain it. Yeah, that's really helpful. And uh, honestly, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about what the uh, perspective of the, the ancients would be like in terms of having Christ over us at all times and looking down upon us. So th yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and they had a goal. Yeah. They had, their goal was to ascend to a definite place. That's, the, again, the Divine Comedy is the illustration of that. But they lived their lives thinking that place above me, heaven, is the place I've got to get to. And that's the goal of my life. And uh, as a side note, so sometimes people think that because the earth was seen to be at the center of the universe, it was somehow the most significant, but actually it was the least significant. For the same reason, hell was conceived of at the center of the earth. It's mm -hmm. the farthest from the goal that you can possibly be, right? So the goal is always to go upward, to ascend. And so, yeah, after the Copernican Revolution, we don't have, or, you know, even with relativity, we don't have a concept of absolute space like that. So we have no fixed physical point of reference as a terminus ad quim that we direct our lives to, you know. For for I me, mean, for us in the modern world, if uh, one rocket takes off on one side of the planet and another one takes off on the other side of the planet, they're not going to the same place. They're just going away from each other. But in the ancient model, they're going to the same place. They're going to the they're going through the heavenly spheres. Mm -hmm. And so I think we 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 live our lives without a fixed goal in that really visible, tangible sense of of having a physical location that represents the goal of our lives that we think is a place we can actually point to, even if we can't 
get there by our own power. We can at least point to it. And modern people don't have that. So I wonder how that changes our way of living. Yeah, it's interesting. It reminds me of uh, a quote that we were discussing recently and uh, I was talking with my class about this as well, but from St. Athanasius, uh, where he um he, he he basically in in on the incarnation i think it's uh paragraph 25 where he talks about the lord being lifted up in the into the air uh to do battle with the demons there and this mm. is an interpretation of of um paul's insight from ephesians where he calls satan the prince of the power of the air right um and so there was this idea that the demons were in the air sort of keeping us bound to this earth. And so Christ in being lifted up and doing battle uh, with Satan on the cross overcomes him. And this ascending movement then opens the way. And so uh, later in Ephesians, when the Lord ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Right. So, and that, of course, you know, the pouring out gifts on uh, to men um leads us right to the link with the outpouring of the uh grace of the holy spirit yes but you know i have to uh just at least um express my opinion that i i, I really strongly wish that the uh feast of the ascension would be restored to thursdays <laughs> in every diocese everywhere i think there's oh, something i agree to be said for the interruption that ascension thursday brings and helps us to see the you know the purpose of the lord's 40 days and helps us to uh to turn aside and devote ourselves to prayer so that we may be prepared to receive the holy spirit and be strengthened you know so um but and Thursday is very much an easier day for for uh, uh, for the laity to to get back to church. It's it's not like a movable feast. Uh, you know, it's going to be on Thursday if Easter's right. on a Sunday. So it's predictable. Yes, as long as we're locked into having Easter on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, so and the the, the but, church the church uh, hasn't seemed to be able to resolve that one anytime soon. So uh, yeah, I agree hundred percent. You know, the Bible gives us a definite timeline and the lord jesus chose deliberately to eat and drink with his disciples for 40 days following his resurrection and we've already lo we've lost essentially the great the great thursdays you know corpus christi the ascension and uh, anyway the calendar the calendar has been damaged the calendar has been damaged i agree um the so before we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it occurs to me that, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it occurs to me that because the ancient and medieval worldview conceived of heaven as a place above, you know, a place up there that you could actually point to and eventually get to, they conceived of the ascension as christ moving from the earthly realm to that divine realm above us and really all around us to think about the entire earth the entire planet as being engulfed in the divine realm you know mm -hmm. um the heaven of the holy trinity but then also the you know the empyrean heaven the heaven of the blessed the empyrean heaven and all the way down to us and 
to think about that heaven is all around us and that's where we're trying to get to if we think that way then we think of the ascension as jesus going to the place where he wants all of us to go the place he prepares for us right yes you know for modern people okay well we don't have that sense that that heaven is a place all around us so I think for us, maybe the tendency is to think of the ascension as Jesus moving away from us. We focus more on the departure than on the place where Jesus is going. And so I know that raises the question, well, why would Jesus leave? Why would he not stay on earth? Um, as I recall, St. Thomas, when considering this, you know, gives a pretty direct reason, which is that this earthly realm is the realm of corruption. It's the realm of the fall. And so it was fitting for Jesus to pioneer ahead of us to the place where he wants to bring us eventually, the place of glory. And that's that's the glorification of our humanity. So I wonder if on the more ancient or medieval view, it's easier to recognize the goodness of the ascension, that we want Jesus to be glorified. Uh, and he says that at the in John's Gospel at the Last Supper. In the farewell discourse, you know, you should rejoice that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, speaking in his humanity. And then the descent of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In that same passage, Jesus connects that to the ascension, that why is it better that he go away? Why is it better that he not remain on earth? And one reason is the glorification of his humanity and to prepare a place for us, but the other is to send the Holy Spirit. If I go away, I'll prepare a place for you, and I'll send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. So what are your thoughts about that? How is the sending of the Holy Spirit connected to the ascension, and what does that mean for these two mysteries? Yeah, that's great. I uh, the So when you think about the the Exodus Reditus or the Catabasis Anabasis movements of the divine missions, first the son's descent uh, in his becoming man in the incarnation, uh, followed by his glorious ascension. You see, you see the movement that he makes there. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out. His descent, his condescension comes into us. So the Holy Spirit is poured mm. out upon all flesh um it's very obvious now that you know what god desires for us and so and i think this is one of the reasons why it's so key that christ actually does ascend is that he shows us what awaits us this is of course also why the feast of the assumption is so important because yes. mary in her being assumed into heaven body and soul uh, proclaims the gospel of, of uh, you know the gl the glory that is to come for all flesh. So the Holy Spirit, uh, His being poured out upon us, and you know Jesus, you mentioned the Last Supper discourse in John. You know He He also mentions that uh, you will do greater works than these, talking about His own. Yeah, that's you a good point. You read the lives of the saints, and you know so some of the things that you that you encounter. For example, in the life of Anthony, um, you know, almost seem uh, almost seem outlandish and impossible. But but then you're reminded of the 
you, you know, what the Lord said about what the Holy Spirit could accomplish in the hearts of believers. So you, you've got this, this band of, of disciples that even with Christ present with his wounds in his resurrected body uh, in front of them, and they're still doubting. But then after the descent of the Holy Spirit, well, you know, they, they, uh, they all go on to spread this good news like fire throughout the world as his witnesses, as his martyrs, um, bearing testimony to the point of death. Uh, so, um, you know, it's, 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 it's part of the, the great news that now we have this divine person making real contact with us. And when the Holy Spirit comes in us, it's not like it's at the exclusion of Christ either because of the mutual divine indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he talks about in the gospel. So, you know, I'm, I'm almost at a loss for words. There's, there's so much to this, to this mystery um, and, and what it accomplishes for us in our elevation but that's because of the um you know the words of of saint peter that we will become partakers of the divine nature right. what that what that means for us you know is really be, beyond comprehension how um are are we fully to become these partakers of divine nature without the destruction of our humanity but that's um that's what we have to look forward to, both in the increase of holiness in this life, but then also in the um, ineffable glories to come. Yeah, exactly. You know, St. Thomas, when he talks about the divine missions, says that the visible missions are ordered to the invisible missions, you know, which makes perfect sense. In other words, to put it this way, what good does it do me? that Christ became incarnate or that the Holy Spirit descended like tongues of fire if I don't absorb the benefit of that through the through the gift of grace and the divine indwelling you know and so Jesus wants us to be involved and he could do it all himself so he wants us to be involved the very fact that he forms a church and that he forms the apostles and the other disciples and gives them the Great Commission and sends them out, you know, that's connected with this idea that he's not going to remain visibly on earth in the same way anymore uh, because he wants the message to spread through his mystical body. He wants the, he wants the, the economy of grace to work itself out uh, through the church, through his mystical body, and through his real body in the Eucharist. And sometimes I think, well, okay, let's imagine that Jesus did not ascend into heaven. So that means, you know, he would be at some specific point locally on earth still. And would what, what would that be like? <laughs> would everyone try to go on pilgrimage to there? Would a great city develop there? Would that be the only place where where Christians were trying to get to and spend their entire lives there, you know, maybe, you know, uh, 
in a certain sense, that would actually limit the contact each of us could individually have with Christ in a certain sense. Whereas I can go into my church, um, be in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament anytime that I want. And further, Christ has given me a role in the in, in the mission. He's sent me out, you know, and that's something to think about. Even during his earthly ministry, Jesus didn't personally, directly go to everyone. You know, he even sent the apostles on missions while he was ministering on earth. You know, he clearly wants us to be involved. And so I think the sending of the Holy Spirit to empower that mission is pretty significant. Uh, Jesus says better for him to go away so that he the Spirit can come. And he even implies the Spirit is not going to be sent in that way if he does not ascend. So we're living in this kind of extension of the last age. We're in the, la we're in the last age. We're living in this extension of Christ's ministry where the church now, especially through the Eucharist, making the Eucharist present, is continuing his presence until he returns. And it's the Holy Spirit who makes that possible. So I think there is a great mystery there. Uh, the connection of these different movements, the divine sendings, the divine missions, which are ordered toward the presence of God, the Trinity, in our souls. That's the goal of this whole thing, is for God to dwell within us, and eventually for us to be taken up into divine glory, body and soul ourselves. Yes, you know, and your your reflections earlier had me thinking about the um had me thinking about the the demoniac, for example, who was healed and who was uh who wanted to stay with Jesus and Jesus refused him. He he said to him to go and, and tell every everyone of the good things that the Lord has has done for you. Uh, holding that in in tension with the um, with the uh, rich man who was invited to be a disciple and, and went away sad, so I think you're right to 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 notice that um, that these mysteries are all uh, wrapped up with the um, with the notion of the mission that the church lives out in this world that we uh, that we are indeed uh, sent. Uh, it's not enough just to simply be with the Lord, but we also have to share the reason for our hope and bear witness as the apostle did that we have we have touched him with our hands, we have seen him with our eyes um, that um, uh, and that you may believe, then our joy may be complete. Exactly. And the ascension, if among all the things it means, if it means anything, it is that Christ glorified in his majesty is still with us, but not within our control, not within our grasp in that sense. And I think we have this temptation, even as Christians and Catholics, sometimes to forget the, the sovereignty of God, the majesty of God. Uh, Christ can choose to reach, he can, he can choose uh, to ascend into heaven. He can choose to enter the divine realm, you know, and he has his own reasons for that. 
and he has his own reasons for doing things the way that he does. And we don't always understand them. We don't understand why he comes to us when he comes, why he calls one person to remain with him and tells another person to go back on mission at the times and moments that he does. Um, he's not within our control, not within our grasp. He's not beholden to us, but he is with us. Yes, indeed. And and in a way, uh, you can see that the the Holy Spirit is, uh, by, by his life within us, uh, crucial to Christ's presence with us. You know, it, it's almost like in sending the Holy Spirit, he wants to be present with and in us in ways beyond what we had conceived. So, um, so you're right. You know, our our human minds we want to put limitations around everything, but um, but uh, the, the the Lord shows us indeed that with uh, with this mystery, the sky's the limit. <laughs> well, well said, well said. Uh on that note, uh, we thank our listeners for joining us for another podcast, Said Contra, a podcast of the Sacra Doctrina Project. You can find us online at sacradoctrinaproject.org.